Welcome to TGIF. This month's series will focus on supporting your students as they return to in-person learning. Consider and be mindful of how your students' journey and development path has changed due to the pandemic. And as always, please be careful with your own health and look after yourself. Hello, welcome to TGIF. My name is John Norwood. I'm the Chemical Health Prevention Specialist for the Moundsview School District. In my last recording, I shared some signs and symptoms to look for if you suspect substance use within our students. Today, I wanna shift gears and talk about building rapport with our students and families. As our students are returning to in-person learning, it's my hope, as I'm sure it is yours too, that our students receive all the services they need to be successful. In order to do this, we have to be informed, we have to build relationships, and there has to be trust. One of the main things I hear from students is that they don't trust the systems, or even adults for that matter. When I worked with adolescents in 2016, one in particular told me that he didn't trust old people. When I asked him what he considered old, he said anybody over the age of 25. <laughs> I felt personally attacked. In all seriousness, when we are working with clients, students, and families who have been impacted by substance use, there is already a fear that the use, current and past behavior, and any other thing attached to said use could get them into trouble. And while we don't promise that there won't be consequences, we do come alongside them and offer support, guidance, trust. Building rapport means listening, letting the student, client, or family be the expert in regards to what is going on with them, with their family, and not judging their journey or their story. In my previous job as a clinical supervisor, I was faced with discharging clients due to concerns of use in various situations. One in particular stands out to me. I was called regarding an 18-year-old male who was posturing and threatening to fight other clients. It was our policy that any violence or threats of violence to any client or staff warranted immediate discharge from our program. As I went down to have a conversation with this young man about discharging him from our program, I instead asked him if he wouldn't mind coming to my office to have a conversation with me. He agreed, and we ended up speaking for 47 minutes. In that time, I learned that since the age of 12, he had to fight. He had to fight for food, he had to fight for clothes, shelter, and basic needs. I even realized that this coping skill of fighting first was one that he used to protect himself and one that kept him safe for the last six years. So at that time, I knew that discharging him would not do him a service. Instead, it was our responsibility to do our due diligence and teach him a more effective coping skill. Our students have stories as well. As they're returning to school, we may see increased behaviors, concerns, and it's our job to understand those. It's our job to understand both the emotional and real life reason behind these behaviors. And we wanna work with them to promote healing, growth, and freedom for not just the student, but their family as well. So I wanna share with you in regards to my work as a drug and alcohol counselor, the things that we assess for when we are working with students 
and families who struggle with substance use. The DSM-5 criteria is very specific with the six dimensions that we look at. Dimension one talks about intoxication and withdrawal potential. So in this dimension, we are basically asking clients questions about their substance use and any withdrawal potential from that substance. Dimension two is biomedical concerns and conditions. So as we gather information from clients, it becomes clear that some clients use as a coping skill to avoid chronic pain or any physical pain that they are experiencing at that time. So this dimension wants to get very clear about any physical biomedical issues or concerns that students or clients might have. Dimension three is our cognitive, behavioral, or emotional um, concerns. So this dimension really hones in on our mental health. Um, what are the client's stressors? What are the family stressors? What are the things that, that typically cause the client um, to become stressed? Dimension four talks about our readiness for change and our motivation, which is a big one. Um, our students, because of where they are at, their age, um, motivation for a lot of our students has something to do with parents, has something to do with the school system, has something to do with the legal component, much like the adults as well. But really getting into the root of what their motivation is for change helps us and informs how to work with that person. Dimension five talks about relapse, continued use, and continued problems. This dimension really focuses on triggers. What are the triggers for the student in regards to why they go back to using? Who are they around? Where are they spending their time? What is causing them to want to use? And then the last dimension, dimension six, is our recovery environment. So this dimension encompasses a family, where the client is living, um, if the client is working, does the client have supportive people around them via the legal system or just people in that person's life? Again, as our students return to school, we might see some increased behaviors, and I do believe it's our job to understand where those behaviors are coming from. Our team is here to assist you in regards to student concerns, both emotional and substance use related. Please don't hesitate to reach out to myself, Julia Geigel, or Carla Anton, as it is our wish to come alongside you in an effort to support our students and families. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Carla. We encourage you to subscribe and message us. We'd love to hear your feedback, topic ideas, and questions, and hope to be part of your weekend recharge.